Hi, welcome to Nine to Thrive, a show about balancing life, work, and creativity. I'm your host, Janet McKenna Lowry. This winter and early spring, we are revisiting some conversations we had with people a couple of years ago, and today's is going to be a conversation with Elaine Carroll, a water engineer in Ireland, about her job doing that and her work with No Drama Theater. But before that, I want to talk a little bit about nostalgia and the kind of time warp our brains go on naturally enough, but also something to guard against. We have several brain biases. If you read the book Nudge by Cass Sunstein and Richard Thaler, who Richard Thaler is an economist who won a Nobel Prize a couple years ago, and Cass Sunstein is, I think, a law professor at Harvard. Anyway, one of the things they talk about is habits and the concept of just nudging yourself or others to a desired behavior. But on the way to talk about that, they talk about brain biases. How, for example, and I know we've talked before about this, but how easy it is to learn something and how hard it is to unlearn something when you find out that that first thing that you learned is wrong. Well, one of the ways that our brain biases lead us astray is in our recollections of the past. I've been encountering this a lot this spring for some reason, maybe the rule of threes, but it is far too tempting for older adults usually. But, you know, I would say anybody who's who's the age where they could have young adult children to complain about kids these days. And it always makes me laugh because when I was a kid that age, I took Latin and I was translating texts that were from hundreds and hundreds and sometimes thousands of years before current era where people were saying the exact same things. Older people were saying, oh, the kids these days, they have it so easy. So it's a dumb argument on so many fronts. It is hooked up with nostalgia and nostalgia has a kind of yearning to it. Again, it is a very natural and expected brain bias, but that doesn't mean it's a good bias to have. It Actually, it leads us to a future that is worse. The one where we write out, we, we eliminate, we ignore the ways in which things have really improved, the ways in which we can appreciate others. It diminishes our relationship with those around us who are younger, which as time goes on is loads, loads more people. It sets us up for this weird kind of contempt, which is always on my bad list. And it sets us up for this weird kind of snottiness that somehow we did it better in the past. What's funny about that is we didn't. It's a very accepted, it's a very media-driven, it's a very family acquaintance, institutional-driven lie, and it is a massive, pernicious, insidious lie. When we sit around and think, those of us that are old enough to, you know, legitimately have this kind of bias, When we sit around and we think, oh, it was better before, it's chock full, for one thing, of privilege, right? Because when we assume that things were better before, first of all, the assumption is, the the big question is, for whom? You know, there's a section of people for whom the 1860s or 1850s was fantastic, and there are millions of people for whom it was a complete disaster. 
And where's the narrative coming from? And we could say the 1950s, the same thing for people who had Levittown homes and had survived World War II. It was great for obviously those people who hadn't survived or were in far worse conditions. It wasn't. And for those people who were through no fault of their own denied housing in those Levittown projects because of the color of their skin, it was kind of awful. And to sit in a position and say, those are the pinnacle days when they're only the pinnacle days for a tiny few and fictional at that is outrageous, actually, and, and not even worth crediting. Like, the only reaction to that is, that's stupid. They weren't. The second thing about all this is the people that do this the most, and this happens whether it is 2000 BCE or, you know, 2021, the people who really are invested in this kind of nostalgia were children during those times that they think were better. And I find this just riveting, the lack of self-consciousness of people. I, I had a talk with a guy who was in probably his 70s a couple days ago about this kind of thing where he is bemoaning kids these days, everything used to be better. Well, when, when were things better? Well, and he's pointing at these years and I said, you were a child. If parents do their job right, a child is protected. Even those who don't do their job right, even people whose parents didn't do their job right, often still have a very rosy colored glasses look at their own childhoods because we were children. So there was a lot of stuff we did not understand. There was a certain, you know, again, if people have done their job right, there's an innocence and there is a lack of knowledge about the world, a lack of thought about the world. Of course, it will feel like things were better. Most kids that certainly this guy, when he was a kid, had his basic needs taken care of. And his job was to go to school and he had friends around and he had no other expectations. He certainly wasn't working in any mines or, or sweeping out chimneys. So, of course, things were better. Yeah. Yippee. So what? If you are a 12-year-old or a 10-year-old right now and your parents are doing their job right, right now is the better. 60 years from now, when that kid becomes an old guy and complains about it, it's just silly. So I guess I'm, I'm out there making an argument. If this is you, stop. <laughs> it doesn't deepen your relationships. It doesn't open you to the world, what it does is shut you down. And actually what it is really is a, is a red flag that you are descending into possibly quite reasonably depression, in which case you need to get some help with that, but also possibly just a, a space where you can't appreciate the wonder of the world and you're still alive. So you should. And there's nothing more genius about people in the past than there are now. That's another very pernicious lie that our parents had a clue or had their acts together. They didn't. Read some firsthand history. They didn't. And we didn't. And remember this too. If kids these days are a problem, this is the world we made. If there is 
an issue that it seems like these days is worse, it's because we made it worse. If we were adults 20 years ago, then either we neglected to handle this problem or we made it worse. Those are our two choices. So the idea, this is what always gets me when older generations complain about millennials or Gen Z or uh, I'm sure there's other groups that I am mistaking in all of this. There are kids. I'm a Gen X, but my kids are millennials. These are our kids. If you think that kids are a problem, then you didn't do your job well, did you? Like, I can't understand owning yourself publicly so hard. Either we're really proud of the job we did, in which case we should be really proud of the kids. And quite honestly, every single time I look at younger people, I'm delighted at how amazingly they are navigating an uncertain and very weird world that just keeps getting weirder. If we look at ourselves and say, well, what could we have done differently? What We were rudderless. We just did our best. Well, that's fine. We just did our best, in which case, so are kids today. They're just doing their best. And this idea that somehow we produce children, raise children, and then blame them for somehow, what, not time traveling, time traveling, having a different world than we did? It's got to stop. It's, it's funny because I don't like hearing it out of you know, real people's mouths like this guy on the sidewalk I talked to the other day. I really don't want to hear it out of opinion reporters or media. I'm really sick of hearing it out of them because it's lazy, it's stupid, and it's a self-own. The world we live in is the world we've made. And you know what? This kind of behavior, this kind of statement, reporting, opinion piece, whatever, this is not leadership. This is not what leadership looks like. This is not how you get respect. First of all, just as a footnote, it is impossible to demand respect. You have to earn respect. That's the process. You don't get to just tell people to respect you. But even after that, the idea that you are going to complain to the people suffering from your decisions that they are somehow at fault when they've had hardly any chance or political power at all to get us where we got to, and that they are somehow at fault for, what, eating avocado toast? Now it's not having enough children, even though they have been told as a just nonstop drumbeat. We, many of us were told, actually, I remember these messages since my <laughs> very first adulthood days, that we can't have kids we can't afford and that we'll never afford kids and that somehow everything we do is bad. Now we're being told that not having those kids was bad. They have no way of winning. So none of this really works. And while I'm on that, and this topic came up a couple times recently too, if we didn't do a good job with our kids, was part of it not paying attention to them? Because I have heard a number of people recently complain about they're kids and actually kids from a wide range of ages. Some of them were young adults, full adults in their 20s. And some of these some of these people's kids were, you know, all the way down to early elementary school. And they complained that this child was just seeking attention and were shocked when I answered, then give it to them. Why wouldn't you give an attention seeking child attention? Why do you feel like you have to 
withhold attention from a child who wants attention. Is it irritating to give attention all the time? Sure. Are you able to give attention all the time? No, but you're able to explain that this is not a good time. And here's the thing. It's so laden because we ourselves, that's a massive trigger for all of us. Honestly, anybody that's a a parental age right now, anybody over the age of 20, 20, 25, the idea of being an attention seeker or just seeking attention or just wants attention is immediately a trigger word to many, 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 many of us. And I don't understand who decided that was a dirty thing to ask for. So given that it's a trigger word, given that it is such a difficult thing for so many people to get their heads around, do this. Swap the word connection. Whenever you look at a kid, whether it is your own kid or a niece or nephew or a kid that you're taking care of and your immediate thought is they only want attention, swap it out for they only want connection and see if that's something that you can give them. See where it goes from there. Well, I'm here with Elaine Carroll, who is going to tell us about the intersection of work, community, and creativity. And I met you, Elaine, through the creativity piece, No Drama Theater. So you can start with any of those three and just uh, talk a little bit about what you do. Well, I suppose just to give you a background about uh, who I am and where I'm from and what I do on a day-to-day basis, Uh I'm from Cork, which is uh, the very south of Ireland. I'm an engineer by day. But by night, I like to get my creative kicks by being the treasurer of No Drama, which is a really nice amateur dramatic society in Dublin City Centre. They're my main things that keep me busy. What kind of engineer are you? I am a civil engineer. That was my degree was civil and environmental engineering. I did traffic and highways engineering for about nine years but recently I got a government job with a local authority as a water and drainage engineer so learning lots of new things but learn something new oh water and drainage in Dublin water (laughs) yeah yeah it's best not to tell people you do anything with water when you work in Ireland but uh, no no it's it's good it is a good job yeah yeah how long have you been doing that Water and drainage, I've only been doing for a year or just over a year, so maybe a year and a half now. Uh-huh. I I work specifically in drainage planning. So that's when, let's say, different applicants apply for planning permission for a site. And we look specifically at how they're going to deal with surface water drainage. And uh, sometimes we'll look at foul and water, but that's more Irish water's job now. So I don't really do that much anymore. We just advise them a bit. Uh-huh. But yeah, no, it's good. It's, it's very different to the work I would have done before. But I like the fact that I'm kind of learning something new, even at this stage of my career. It's nice to still be learning new things. Yeah. And now when you talk about drainage, are you talking about like, does it go into the sea, into the aquifer, like the the groundwater or what 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 kinds of things happen? All of the above. Um, <laughs> so the, the water that I deal with is, yeah, so it's the water 
surface water is the water that falls out of the sky and like runs off the roofs and the land and things. And then um, our our main aim is to kind of maintain how water would naturally flow if the site was still a green field. So that's kind of our main issue interest is that the water is as clean and let's say runs off the same speed that it would have previously because that has lots of implications for the surface water network that's already there and it also has implications on flooding and water quality and things like that so it's that whole area really just to kind of make sure that water is working as naturally as it would have beforehand. That's a really good question in Dublin which has been built now for you know a millennia (laughs) <laughs> yeah it's been around a while yeah yeah so is that something that you have to do so where someone's taking away like a house that or two houses that burned down putting up a hotel is that i guess i've got a question about how do you know what water would have behaved like if it's already city it's just more city city yeah so you do get that from some applicants let's say now in dublin city center that might be an issue where I suppose an applicant might say they're not changing how the water behaves now, Mm. but you still have to bear in mind that any little bit that you can do to kind of take water out of the surface water network or slow it down from getting to the river will help with any flooding issues. So we still try and get people to reduce the runoff, even if it's, even if they're matching what's there now, what you really want is a betterment as well. So you don't want to just leave the status quo just because, well, that's how it is. You you should be trying to improve things. And even just for water quality reasons, it's better to try and slow the water down, keep it on the site for longer so that, let's say, sediments and things like that can come out, hydrocarbons and stuff can come out of the water and then the water is cleaner. That's actually going into the the system for treatment maybe in future. Oh, interesting. Interesting. And when I went to... The castle, which is in the center, one of the things they pointed out is that the river puddle is completely like encapsulated under the city. Is, is does that happen where there's just accidental rivers that have been sort of put away under things? It does happen sometimes. I, it's something we don't do now. That's a policy that would be a different council of different policies regarding open water. So in the council that I work in, generally as a rule, you don't cover over open water. So if, if there's a river there or a water course and things that you generally keep it open, you might allow people to culvert it. So that's when ah. you put kind of like a, a bit of a step over it. Yeah. Um, you might let's, let's say, let them do small sections of culverting if they need to just put a little access road over or something like that. But generally speaking, you want to keep the water open because again, that's how it is naturally. Yeah. Do you Sometimes know- things are allowed to be diverted and things, but it, generally speaking, you want you want to keep water as it is. Do you know if that is the only hidden river underneath Dublin City or are there more? I actually, well, there's some, there's some sections of river that have been culverted. Not, let's say, I'm not sure about the ones in the city centre, but if you know the Dundrum town centre. Okay, yeah. Underneath that shopping centre, there's a whole section of um, the river slang that actually goes under. So that was all culverted and is underneath that shopping centre. Interesting. And how did you get into this work? How did I get into water and drainage or engineering in general? Uh, yes, but you can answer either of those questions. But yeah, how did you how did you get interested in this? So engineering in general, it was kind of a funny one because most people, certainly when I went to university, most people who were engineers or were studying engineering 
they did it because they knew someone who was an engineer. So they did it because either their dad or their uncle or aunt or like someone they knew in their in their life was an engineer. I became an engineer because my guidance counselling teacher said, you're good at math. Have you ever thought of doing engineering? And I went, OK, that, that sounds fun. And then people said, ask me, what, what type of engineer do you want to be? And I was like, oh, oh there's types. Yeah, I have to pick a type. And then I was like, right. Okay, um, I should probably look into this a bit more. So then, um, <laughs> l- luckily, there's uh, their universities were getting quite good at getting girls into like sciences and engineering. So they had this girls into science and engineering weekend in UCC, okay. which is at University College Cork, and that's the university I actually ended up going to in the end. Um, and they took you around to um, the different buildings, and you spoke to different people who were either lecturers or students in the various courses that you could do. And I ended up choosing civil engineering, well, civil environmental engineering, just because I I thought it sounded like the most kind of the most fun almost that you know you worked in teams and you work with people instead of like bouncing ideas off people and I just really like that idea of collaboratively working oh, with cool. people as part of my job I don't really want to be just by myself at my desk doing things by myself I wanted to it to be that kind of interactive and iterative and you know yet you are actually thinking about what maybe you could change or what is the best solution so really that's and like once I got into engineering then I realized yeah this this is what I should be doing. This is how my brain works. And this really matches my brain. But it never, unless somebody had told me, like my guidance counselor teacher to try it out, it wouldn't have dawned me. I don't know what else I would have done really <laughs> now that I look back in it. Did the program work? Were there a bunch of girls that went in when you did or were you, you know, in the minority? Um, In my, the year I actually did engineering. So there was about, I think there was 65 people in my year when I started in UCC in civil and environmental specifically. And there was 15 of those were girls. And I know that doesn't sound like a lot for engineering. That's really good. That was like the high, I think that was the highest percentage they would have had of girls. So that particular year it did very well, but then the following year went down. I think there was only maybe five people in the following year or something, but particularly civil engineering tends to have, well, Electrical engineering has the least amount of girls. I think there was one girl in their year when they started, but then that's a smaller course. So, yeah, look, I think yeah, I think it goes like electric and then civil, and I th- think process then tends to have quite a few female um, students. But I, you don't you don't notice it so much because I suppose you all kind of like pal around together and club together, so you feel like you know loads of girls because yeah, you're all, you're all friends with each other. <laughs> yeah, that is very cool. Uh, what's your favorite part of the job? I mean, you talked about the collaboration. Is that that's why you went in? Is that still, you know, is that your favorite part of the job? What's your favorite part? Yes, I do. I love I love bouncing ideas off people, and I love uh, like obviously engineering is just one big problem solving thing. Somebody comes to you with a problem, and like it's not it's even outside of my job. I tend to be the problem solver. Like if the if the TV breaks at home, my dad <laughs> rings me. And somehow I have to switch the TV over the phone. You know, it's just I would just be the problem solver in in my circle. <laughs> so I I love that that I love that something comes in and you get to like kind of drill down into well what is going on here and what is the actual issue and what are we trying to solve? Because sometimes people just they kind of see something they're familiar with and do a familiar answer. Whereas I kind of like to go, no, but what's really what's really going on? What's actually the problem though? And what are we really trying to fix? Oh, and 
be focusing on this thing or should we be focusing on this? Um, particularly with water and drainage, since I'm kind of almost starting again with it, I yeah. get to ask all the stupid questions. <laughs> Because you know, there's some stuff that people just take for granted that, oh, well, we've just always done that. It's like, yeah, but but like, why have you always done that? And like, can you explain to me why that's happening? And then sometimes we're getting to a different solution because we're like, you know what? That's actually not the thing to focus on. We should probably be focusing on this thing. But it's because, because you like, there really are no stupid questions. Like ask the stupid right. question and, you know, you can answer simply great, but maybe you'll get to the crux of the problem that people might have just taken for granted because they've been doing it so long. Right, right, right. I'm still learning something new and still trying to figure out stuff and trying to get to the best answer. I'm not, it's not just, you know, taking things as they are. It's like, well, could, could we do better? And how could we do better? And yeah. what ways could we do that? And, kind of bypassing yeah. the inertia that grows. Yeah, exactly. Because so I know some people feel, particularly that I'm in a, a local government job now, some people consider that like retiring you know you're not really huh. being innovative anymore yeah whereas my would be is that you you're you should be pushing the innovation so from our point of because the consultants who do things they do stuff because they have to because it's required to you know make it get something through planning or to get something done right so we can ask for the next thing that needs to be done so it's because we ask for something that they do it so we should really be trying to see what we should be asking for and pushing for something better so let's say now with the council that i'm in we have um, a green roof policy okay and that's and lots of other councils they like they ask for green roofs but it's not they don't have a document on it whereas we have a document on it which means explain that what people, that means yeah Oh yes, sorry. I know this. This this happens a lot as well. I think <laughs> people know what I'm talking about, and they really don't. <laughs> but okay, so green roof is basically roofs that have kind of like sedum or sort of grass turf on them, and the advantage of them is that they slow down the water that hits through. So obviously, if, if water just hit a normal flat roof, it would just float straight off down the gully out into the sewer, and nothing, you know. And there's a lot of dirt that accumulates on roofs as well. Like there's dust, and obviously bird species oh, right. and things like that. So yeah. that's quite dirty. So it should, it really should get some kind of treatment, and it just gets slowed down, so it's not just all going down to the ground straight away. Uh-huh. So a green roof then is kind of just like a layer of turf sometimes. Uh, depending on the thickness, you'll get different rates of the water being slowed down. So that slows the water down from getting to the gully too quickly, which helps for flooding reasons. Uh-huh. Um, it also captures a lot of the dirt. So when you, when the water filters through grass, a lot of, let's say, kind of the dirt and things like that stay on the grass and then they can kind of get treated by the air and the sun uh-huh. and things like that to get things, all the dirt out of it. So the water comes through cleaner as well. Okay. Um, and it also, um, somebody told me as well, it helps for, let's say, heat absorption. You know, so obviously a lot of buildings are oh. kind of trapping heat. It kind of helps heat or reduce. So it, it helps for, let's say, ventilation or heat control reasons for buildings as well. So it's a lot of, lot of good advantages. Anyway, go on and say what you were going to say about the permitting, but I just wanted to clarify the green roof. Oh, yes. But um, basically, that if, if we didn't specifically have a policy for that maybe a lot of consultants might say oh no it's too expensive we can't do this we can't do that but because we have a policy it's like well you've no excuse guys you've got to make it work you've got to figure something out and I know some people so some in some instances you can't well not that you can't but 
for architectural reasons, maybe you want to do a slightly different type of building so your roof wouldn't be appropriate for it. And then we're like, okay, but as long as you can treat the water in another way. And it's just to try and get people to realize that it's not just about, we just want a green roof. It's like, no, we want you to like, you know, treat the water and clean the water and slow down the water and kind of get them to realize you know, the benefits of that. Or if you keep on pushing those things, eventually everyone will realize, yeah, no, like flooding seems to be reducing and yeah. water quality is and things like that oh that's really interesting do you find that the job gives you opportunities to be creative or do you get that elsewhere or a mixture i have this argument sometimes with my colleagues so some of them feel like it's not creative but i think again so a lot of people i would work with they've they've been in the job a long time you know maybe they're just a bit jaded by it i suppose Uh but i like I said, I still think it can be because you're trying to find different solutions and that's creative thinking. Yeah. You know, you're trying to think outside the box. And I, I think that's a type of creativity. You know, creativity is not always like sitting down with a pen and paper and drawing a picture. Do you know what I mean? I think yeah. that's what people think that it must, be, must always be something like that. Whereas like, no, it's it's how you think about things and how you view things and <laughs> figure stuff out. So I, I think it has lots of opportunity to be creative. But I do I do like other I suppose it's very kind of an in-your-head type thing, engineering. Uh-huh. So I like to do things that are out of my head, which is where the drama comes in. And that's how I kind of get that stuff. So I get to do something more physically and get out of my head and kind of do something maybe that I wouldn't do on a day-to-day basis if it wasn't for it. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Nine to Thrive, a podcast about balancing work, community, and creativity. Well, that's a perfect segue. So yeah, so no drama theater. How did you get involved? Okay, so that happened when um, when I so when I was younger, I was always really, really into speech and drama and theater and improv and things like that. I did a lot of it when I was in, particularly in primary school, and I kept it up a bit in secondary school as well. But then when I went to university, it was just kind of hard to balance the two. It's like engineering's a very um, intensive course, so there's a lot of hours in lectures but then there's also a lot of hours outside of lectures studying and doing labs and things like that so it kind of didn't leave me a lot of time uh-huh. and then I started work and you know you get wrapped up in work and then I was like I kind of just stopped one day and went okay no this this can't go on I can't keep on just working yeah um and then people were like, oh why don't you do this thing like why don't you do yoga or like <laughs> start playing a sport and it was like yeah no they all sound okay i'll go to the gym that was what people kept saying oh maybe you start going to the gym. and i said i do not want to start going to the gym that sounds like the most soul destroying place i do i know some people love the gym and yeah. find it a social outlet but anytime i ever went i was just like nobody talks to anyone and it's just I don't know, it wasn't what I wanted. I wanted something that was more interactive and got me out of my head. Whereas yeah. you're still kind of in the gym because you're just kind of running or whatever, but you're not like, you're not interacting. I wanted, I wanted to interact more. So um, I kind of went, you know what I used to love? I used to love drama. So then mm. I was like, right, what I'm going to do is I'm going to look up some theater groups. So I, I kind of looked up a few things and I f- came across no drama and I just, went through their website and I kind of read there they have let's say um like a mission statement and things like that and I just really liked the ethos of it because like there's some groups where you have to audition to get into them uh, so right. they kind of they have that that exclusivity already they tend to do the same kind of shows the way they're always like these big ensemble pieces they're shows that you see quite a lot or maybe there's a lot of ones that are musical and 
dancing one that I'm I'm not I cannot sing and I cannot dance. So <laughs> I'll put that out right. Um, but I do love, <laughs> I just I said I'll be honest with everyone. I cannot sing. I cannot a dance. single threat. So, you're not um, the triple threat. Yeah. You're the single threat. <laughs> I'm, I'm very much very very small threat um but and I liked and I liked that they didn't put on the same shows all, so I, I can the more read about them they were more they were very much yeah the workshops are all dropping you can drop in and out whenever you like they had all these extra little things like monologue nights and they seemed to promote people doing their own pieces it wasn't just you know as I said it wasn't the same stuff all the time you know those same kind of shows that get put on and you see them done by lots of companies around the country you never get to see something new they seem to pick plays that aren't put on very often uh-huh. um, that were a bit different they encouraged original writing they have let's say little nights so it's not just let's say two productions a year so if you don't get in the production well that you you've nothing to do for the year they have these little mm-hmm. things called shindigs where people put on original pieces and you get to have a little go on that as well and they just seem to be a very kind of inclusive and supportive group and it just really I really liked the idea of it. So I went along mm. and really enjoyed it and just kind of kept on going, basically. And How long yeah. have you been part of it? I su- I'm trying to think now when exactly I joined. It'll definitely be, I think it's about two years now. Yeah, okay. I think it's about two years. Yeah, yeah. And then um, do, you, do you do the two shows with them? Is that, do you do, the, do you do all the shows that they do or do you just pick and choose? What do you do? I try and get involved as much as I can. So even if I don't get in a show, I like to do something in the background. So let's say the the very first show I was in, I, I was an actor in it. So that's how I was involved in that one. But I also helped a little bit backstage. And then for the next show, I auditioned, but I didn't get a part. But I was like, look, I really like this play. I think it's really interesting. Can I be involved? So I got involved with helping make some of the props. Uh-huh. Um, I being the prop actor as well. So collecting up all the different props they needed. And then I helped out during the week, like assisting the stage manager as well, just so I could get a kind of a feel for lots of the different jobs. And for the next production that's coming up, I'm going to, well, I've been asked to be, and I said, yes, but we'll, we'll, um, so hopefully I'll get to be the stage manager for that. So that'll be, ah. I'll have to run everything backstage. So it is good. It is good for getting different experience. Yeah. Yeah. Are you interested in directing? Um, not yet. Maybe in the future. I'd like to, because they're very good as well. They kind of do things quite structured. So you don't just get to be a director straight off the bat. They like you to kind of work up to it. So hopefully I would maybe do something small, let's say for a shindig piece and then work up from that, maybe to be an assistant director for a main production and then eventually be a director for a production. Okay. Um, but no, I'd like, to, I'd like to give it a go on the more on the, the smaller level first on a shindig level just to see how I take it. Because some people, it, it just doesn't suit them. Mm. So maybe it might not suit me. Hopefully it would, but <laughs> that'd be but it's a good way to try things out because they'll say that some people who um they might write and act in and direct their piece and then afterwards they kind of go do you know what like maybe I should like give this over to somebody else the the directing because I don't think it's me I think I'm better at the writing or I'm better at the acting and you know it kind of you help kind of figure out what you are good at as well through the different opportunities yeah the flexibility of that is very interesting just out of curiosity, so in this, in the area where I lived in the U.S., live in the U.S., a lot of the community theater really, there are adults, but then there's usually a ton of kids. Is that true in Dublin? Are there, 
you know, do kids all want to be part of this too, or is it more of an adult thing? The, no, drama is um, over 18s. Okay. And so, so that's kind of, well, maybe specifically this group, but there's a few groups who, that are like that in the city centre for when I gather that they are just over 18 groups. Mm. I think I'm, I'm not quite sure why that is. It might just have been just the policy. But I know that lots of other groups around the country tend to have more junior people in them. So uh-huh. I'd say from where I am down home in Cork, they, yeah, there'd be a lot more of a mix of there being teenagers and adults and things like that because it's more like family theatre. Right, right, yeah. So that's Yeah. And oh. I think even some Dublin, more in the suburbs, there might be more that have a broader age range. But I think kind of no drama was sort of like filling that gap of people who were sort of in between that they weren't they weren't kind of kids and they weren't, let's say, like, you know. I thought that, yeah, just that just that kind of middle group who kind of just live in the city or near the city and kind of wanted a drama outlet. Yeah, like recreational, recreational drama kind of. Yeah, exactly. But there's a very, there's a good social aspect, particularly to the the no drama one. Yeah, it is. It's very everyone would kind of meet up afterwards and have chats or go to theatre together and things like that. You know, it's kind of like a common interest group as well yeah. as just being. Uh, how how old is no drama? Do you know? It is having its ten year anniversary this year. Actually, wow, that's awesome! Happy birthday. So, so yeah, happy birthday, no drama. Are the people that started it still involved? They are in not as heavily involved because you know kind of people's lives change. You know, um, you have kids, work commitments, and stuff like that. But the um, summer production that's just gone, uh, she kills monsters. One of the more original members, Dave McGowan, was actually the director of that piece, oh, okay. so he came back to do that. They do, they do get involved and they support different things. They'll come back and they'll do because some of the people have gone on to become professional actors or they've set up improv training groups and things. So they'll come back and they'll do workshops with us. So they still come and drop in. But they they kind of let they progress to the next level almost with being as I said with being professional in in the field. So, but it is good, yeah. So they're still around. Uh-huh. Um, so that's what's going as well that it keeps on eternal turning over as well. It's not reliant that they had to stay. You know, people took the torch and they kept things going. There's been you know there's a, a new chairperson every well two years generally, so that keeps it fresh as well and things. Well, I don't know if it's the name or what, but that's it feels rather unusual for a an arts organization to have graceful movement, particularly of founders in and out of the group, (laughs) you know, in fact, there's often a lot of drama. So (laughs) no drama. drama. (laughs) What's the biggest challenge do you think with the organization? I suppose all drama groups eventually come to points where it's the ebbs and flows happens quite frequently with different groups particularly now in Dublin there seems to be a lot of amateur theatre groups so it's kind of diluting let's say the pool of people who want to join in Mm. so it's maybe keeping membership up sometimes but then again that can just be you know, like let's say last summer, we had a particularly good summer. So people just wanted to be out in a park instead of in a school, right. uh, mucking around doing a <laughs> workshop. So sometimes when we go down for those kind of things, that would be one challenge, I suppose. And then another challenge I imagine a lot of groups come up against is, I suppose, have, you know, the volunteers having enough time, depending on people's like work schedules and like that work life balance. It's something I'd already be hard enough to. 
you know, being all the place that you need to be already and then having this commitment as well. So maybe getting people to be committed to do the day to day running of the, the group can be quite challenging as well, because it is it's very time consuming. It is like a whole job onto itself. You have a lot of organization to do and a lot of people to deal with and things like that. So that can be challenging. How many members are there? What else? See, that is where it's a bit fluid, because we, since we don't. We don't stop anyone being a member. Okay. If you if you get me, so you can you can be a member for a month and then not come again for another year, or you could be a member every single month for the whole year. You might just come to a workshop once every month. You know, it's, so we don't we don't have let's say a set member list. I mean, you can go on. We have so there's no drama theatre is the main page. We also have no drama after dark, which tends to be the page that put people who are kind of a bit more committed to the group join, and that has. I think does it have around two hundred members on it? But oh, that's obviously those people don't come every week. Um, but obviously those people don't come every week, or they might be people who used to come all the time, but just kind of pop in and out now. So it's it has it has a good member base every week with the workshops, and then it has a wider member group with various other things. So putting a number on it is hard right. because of that, because we're so fluid. Right. What's your favorite part about no drama? Oh, the people. Yes, definitely the people. <laughs> I mean, it wouldn't you wouldn't do something every week voluntarily unless you didn't like the people you hung out doing with. You know, I just like when I went, everyone's very, everyone is just so friendly because you. I know. Let's say when I was so when I was in university, I did try and do a little bit of drama, but I found it very clicky, uh-huh. and it was just really hard to get in. Once you knew everybody already in there, it was hard, so hard to get in. But it just this didn't feel that way when you went. Like everyone wanted to chat to everyone. Everyone wanted to get to know you and they were really encouraging to get you involved in things. Because um, even if they didn't, like, you know, you might not be particularly good, but it's like, oh, but like if you want to do it, go for it. So they like would encourage you to do monologues at the monologue night if you want to have a go at things. And yeah, go to auditions. Why not? You know, and just it was very much straight away. Yep. Yeah, if you want to do it, go for it. And that's just they're very very supportive and very inclusive and it's it's a nice place to be and is that really built into like the values and and the culture of it or is that just sort of any given group at a time how do you mean is it depend as in does well, it depend on the week or well yeah does it right depend on the workshop how how you know the the groups you were saying that's sort of fluid they they kind of come together and and then a different group may be together the next time or whatever but does it seem to be like the the organization itself just has these values and therefore they sort of that sort of, you know, becomes the dominant way to behave. Or is it something that you almost have to assert sometimes with like, no, that's really not how we do things here. I think once you come in to particularly when you come into a workshop, generally the person who's facilitating the workshop and there'll be someone on the door kind of, you know, taking people's names and things, they tend to be very and there's a welcomer at the door as well. So, and all those people that you meet, they really kind of push the values of this is really inclusive. You know, if you're new, it's like, great, you're new, come and have a chat with us. They'll they kind of explain who some of the, like the main people are like, oh, this will be your facilitator this week. And they'll kind of get you chatting to some of the more frequent members, let's say. And it knows, it always has that feeling that when you go in, it's like, yeah, no, this is nice and safe. Everyone's friendly. Like, don't, don't worry about it. Just because you're new doesn't mean you're, on the outskirts come in have a chat get involved it's and it's very much how the workshops are run as well there's no like there's no wrong thing in the workshops either all the things we do are very 
much if you've done drama loads of times you can do it if you've only done it a couple of times that's okay if you've never done it before we kind of try and bring everyone along together and make everyone feel like they're involved and part of it and we're also very good to uh, bring everyone to the pub then afterwards as well and have a chat <laughs> and get to know a bit more and get to figure out kind of what they want from the group because some people maybe they come along and not really sure what they want but then you can kind of have a chat and you can explain to them what else we do and it's just I think it's really just drilled into the members who've been there a long time and then uh, the more often you come you start to like feel that as well and you want it to be inclusive and you want to chat to the new people and yeah it just yeah it, it's almost embedded in the ethos and I think it's in the mission statement as well that it's an inclusive you know we are we are inclusive you know new members are always welcome and things like that so it's I think particularly with it not being that you have to audition to get into the group right. really makes it feel like people can just come and try it out you know they don't they're not worried that they're kind of that they maybe have to commit too soon or anything and that they're not sure what it's about. You're just like, yeah, you can just come and test the waters for a while and get to know everyone and then see see how involved you want to be, which is quite good. Well, that's huge. And I have to say the um, the introduction piece is really huge because I've, I've attended things before and there was either nobody introduced anybody or it was just the people that seem to be regulars threw themselves in and you're like, I guess that's what we're doing now. And it's, and then, but you do definitely get that sense of like, okay, this is clearly I'm not in this group. I didn't know what we were supposed to be doing or didn't know anybody's name and nobody bothered saying it. So that's really interesting that it's sort of built in like the, you know, when you get there, it sort of starts and then you sort of roll through that of like people reminding you that you're new. It's fine enjoy yourself welcome kind of a thing that's 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 big that's very neat so community is built into the into the theater group because as you're saying it's very welcoming it's very it's not really exclusive is that where you really find your community or do you find that in work too does work kind of branch out to the larger community or yeah i suppose since yeah both both of them tend to involve getting out about with people um particularly since now my job is a local government job so local government jobs they are for the community my job is to do things for the community I'm a civil servant that's that's my role <laughs> um, so I can have the public ring me and ask me things regarding the any issues that well more planning related so they, there's a certain process but it is it does involve talking to members of the public and trying to do things for the greater good and for local policy and development plans and things like that which is all community you know thinking doing yeah. things for the large community so yeah no bo- both cover it really which is quite nice because I do I do like that I like that my job is beneficial to people you know yeah. I'm, I'm trying to do something for people and then being part of the drama group I just think drama is really beneficial in general for everyone you know it's just it's a really nice social thing for people to do it's um it gets people out of their shell. Um, it helps people meet new people. Sometimes I get we get that a lot with no drama as well. There's a lot of people who might just have just moved to Dublin, so they kind of use it as a way of making friends and getting to know the area and things like that. So, yeah, no, both of them I think really helped me to get involved in the community, which is really really nice. Yeah, nice. All right, uh, what kind of things would you tell your younger self? What kind of things would I tell yeah, my younger self? Yeah, if you could talk to your younger self about like where you are now and, and the stuff you're interested in, stuff like that, what what would be a, what, what advice would you give them or what would you tell them? 
Oh, I would have said to get involved in drama sooner, not to have left <laughs> it so long. Because it it's really, it is really, really fun. Um, and it's such, and like the people I've met are just so nice. And I kind of, I just wish I'd known them longer. That That's my only regret is. <laughs> Because they're so much fun and they're so nice and they're so, because um, there's such a diverse range of people as well. You know, we obviously have this common thing of that we, we all like um, theatre and things like that. But everyone's job is so different and backgrounds are so different. They're from different countries and they like their their jobs would be very, very different to my job. What they do on a day to day basis um, and different pressures and stresses and things like that. But then we all come together and have this one common laugh. and do you write do you write as well I haven't written recently or anything like that let's say when I would have been younger I would have done a little bit so again that's something that I might try and explore because the group we do have um, a writers group that's actually after restarting again this year to kind of encourage people who have an interest in writing to get together and kind of maybe learn each other's styles and things like that and kind of almost just give them a forum to do it because sometimes um you kind of just sitting alone writing at home you're like oh this isn't good enough but if you have to kind of bring it to a group every week you can get some feedback and actually push it on and go like you know this is pretty good this might there might be something here and yeah no it's it's really good the writers group is very good and there's a readers group as well for different plays to um pick the ones that we're going to do for the next productions ah. um, and then yeah there's as I said there's the monologue nights if people want to like try just acting a little bit but maybe don't want to be in a play and then people yeah just yeah lots of opportunities to try writing and directing and acting and things and all the background stuff as well actually a lot of people who learn um they learn different background skills such as sound and lighting and things like that as well right. which is quite interesting right yeah. and and how do they do that do they are are there essentially like uh you know, long-time members that mentor? Pretty much, yeah. That's how, like, it generally starts off with um, there'll be someone who kind of knows their stuff, will do the shindig, and they might have somebody beside them shadowing them. And then they just kind of let them do, or they might even show them how, if it's not a particularly complicated piece, you might just show someone and let them do it. Mm. But a lot of time they'll, yeah, they'll have somebody just shadow them. And then the next time there's like a small thing on, they might do it themselves. And then the next time there's a big production, they might be on, let's say if there's a few people who are needed for the week because not everyone can do it every night then you kind of get opportunities that way so you kind of get to build up skills that way as well which is really cool and and where do you perform you don't does the group have its own theater or have a host theater or anything there's a few theaters that we kind of use more often than others but at the last few productions have been in smock alley we've done a few productions there in the main space there as well. Uh-huh. Um, our next production will be in the boys' school there, which is a lovely space too. We do some of the shindig in the peer centre quite a bit, and we've done we did one actually in the Project Arts Centre, which was quite nice. So that was just a nice different venue to do. And then the teachers' club as well. We've done uh, productions there a few times. I think they've used another couple of venues, but they're the main ones that I've I've certainly been a part of productions of. Is it easy? Is it hard? Is it challenging or anything to get audiences in? Like we've talked a lot about like how welcoming it is to get participants in. But how about how about audiences and getting the work to just people to watch? In fairness, now, they're very good at promotion. They're quite like mm-hmm. they do really good like posters and flyering. They're very good for getting out to, let's say, groups who might be interested. Let's say now just taking um, She Kills Monsters as an example. That's a play that's about Dungeons and Dragons. OK, so they got so they did a really good few like nice promotional things. So we had a couple of games nights where people, let's say, maybe learned how to play Dungeons and Dragons. That was really good fun. 
also had a table quiz that was kind of like the nerd quiz. So like, and there was obviously a few related questions to that. They got, I think, Gamers World were ah. um, like the was up in like kind of the, uh, those kind of places. And then they did a live Dungeons and Dragons um, oh game as well. <laughs> so that was really cool. So they, they did loads of really cool promotional things like that which is really fun. So no, they're very good for getting the word out there. So it's not just, let's say, people's families and friends coming all the time. You do yeah. get people who actually are like, oh, this just sounds like a really cool play. I'd like to go see it. So yeah. and like they, they, we've gotten very good attendance for a lot of the performances we've done as well, which is really encouraging because, you know, as I said, there's only so many times your friends and family will come. But when you get actually people kind of off the who just hear the production and they like think, oh, that sounds cool. I'd like to go. That's really rewarding. Well, yeah, and it really speaks to that um, a very interesting to that thing you were saying before about how you don't just do the same things over and over. You do new works. You know, some things are tried and true because everyone goes, oh, that I always go to that or, oh, it's, you know, that same play again. And I'm familiar. So it's really interesting to be able to have good audience response to things that they're that they've never heard of before. Exactly. Because you do, I suppose, some, like, you, could, you could get like pack out a theater if you put on, you know, a nice Irishy play that everyone's heard of and stuff like that. Um, but we were like, you know what? There's lots of people doing that, and they're doing it great. Yeah, and like, like you know, let them keep on doing that. But what we wanted to do was just, no, come on, let's let's try something that's not maybe seen as often, so people get to see more different things and more diverse theatre and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, that's very cool. Um, and then, do you participate, or do you guys throw any festivals? Are there theatre festivals that no dramas involved in? We had just the summer just gone. We went to All Together Now. It was a new kind of, well, I told it wasn't just a music festival. It was sort of like, a, an, you know, an everything festival. There was <laughs> art and theatre and comedy and things like that. So we put on a small piece for kind of like a family entertainment section on the Sunday in the middle of the day. So it was just a nice little call. I think it was what was it called Grand Day for Drawing. <laughs> and that was really fun. That was, that was like an original piece as well. Um, there was two of the people from the group Kate just wrote wrote it all and it was um somebody else directed it then and there was like slight bit of kind of improv to it as well because you kind of had to read off the audience and stuff how they were reacting to what you're saying and it was a really it was a really nice kind of fun family friendly piece that they did for that so we're hoping to maybe do that more often like purposefully put a piece together that could be taken to different festivals and then applying to different festivals with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas this one, we kind of, they they had previously a few years back done something at Electric Picnic and it was before my time um, and that had gone quite well. So we were thinking, you know what, that went quite well that time, this went well this time, maybe we should, you know, make it something else to do for the summer because we tend to take a break during the summer, but then some people want to still be involved in something. So right. it's kind of a nice thing to do for the summer as well. Right. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Well, that's really fun. Is there anything else you want to talk about? This is it's just what I really like about this is just you meet people on one side and then it just becomes like, but yeah, how how do you do everything else? Like I met you through the theater group, but then you're like, and I'm an engineer. And I was like, that's interesting that you've got like, you know, the two things going on. So, yeah. Yeah. And I suppose they wouldn't they wouldn't seem to be connected, but um I said it kind of it, it feels two different things. You know, the engineering does all the stuff inside my head, the drama does the stuff outside of my yeah. head. <laughs> so it's really, really good. Do you teach workshops too yourself? I haven't taught any workshops, no. The role that I have at the moment on the committee is the treasurer, so I just deal with the spreadsheets. <laughs> well, that said though, it is 
terrifically important to have people to do that. Like I've worked with a lot of arts organizations over the years and you got to a point where volunteers were like, well, I can video or photograph. And it was like, no, I know we have a thousand of those, but can you do a spreadsheet? Because we really need someone willing to do the finances. <laughs> oh, no, I've definitely found my in there uh, with, with the spreadsheets. You know, they're more than happy to give me all the stuff and I'm more than happy to do it. And I'm like, yep, I'm very comfortable with all this. Don't you worry. <laughs> I, will, I will do everything. It will be fine. Oh, Not that it's particularly complicated. The voluntary group, it tends to be kind of a little, you know, it's a little easier. Yeah, just to have somebody who's happy enough to keep on top of everything. <laughs> and do you guys have to, let me ask you this about voluntary groups, because this is something I've dealt with a lot more in the States than in Ireland. But do you guys have, do you guys get donations? Do people, do you do like outreach and, you know, I guess they call it development? But- no, all- our funding is member funding and then maybe fundraising nights. So let's say for some productions, we'll do specific fundraising events like the the table quizzes and okay. games nights and things like that. And then everything else just comes from membership, from people coming to the workshops and um, the shindigs and monologue nights and to the plays. It's just all, yeah, it's all member funded. That's terrific. That's great. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, no problem. It's been very nice chatting to you. Yeah, nice chatting to you too. Thanks so much to Elaine for talking to me about theater and the importance of play and her work as an engineer in Ireland. It was great to hear about how process can help improve water management and lead to innovation adoption. And also hear how the values of the wonderfully named No Drama Theater Company can attract members, keep them, and make the organization resilient to changes across an entire decade. That's it for this week's 9 to Thrive podcast. Be sure to visit working9tothrive.com, that's with the number 9, to access links, info, and to join the conversation. We're on Twitter, at 9 to Thrive, and Facebook, at Working 9 to Thrive. Thanks for listening.